الإسلام ديني ومحمدا رسول الله ويقيني أدنو إليه ساجدا بجبيني اقبل صلاتي الله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد Our lecture today is about a topic that a lot of people discuss and comes in the news every few years or every few decades when something of an incident happens where this topic once again is brought into the limelight and I typically begin my lectures about the Mahdi by talking about an incident that most of the Muslims are not familiar with. And this year marks the 40th anniversary of that incident. Those of you that are above the age of 50, remember this incident. I was too young to know it when it happened. And I only found about it when I was a teenager. And I could not believe that that incident had happened when I found out about it. And that is that in the year 1979, 40 years ago, and the date was the first of Muharram in the year 1400 of the Hijrah. The date was intentional. First Muharram, 1400 Hijrah. A group of overzealous fanatics stormed the Kaaba with submachine guns and held the Kaaba hostage. These were not non-Muslims. These were overzealous fanatics from within our faith. These were people who were Hufad of the Qur'an. These were people who were students of Islamic knowledge. These were people whom some of the greatest ulama knew by name. In fact, some of the greatest ulama's children were a part of this group. Some of the great ulama, their own sons were a part of this group. And this group was a overzealous fanatical group that felt that the end of times was close by, the judgment was going to come and that they had discovered who the Mahdi was. And so they held the Kaaba hostage after Salat al-Fajr and they announced on the microphone, they took the microphone after the end of Fajr and they announced that we now have the Mahdi and everybody has to give the oath of allegiance to the Mahdi. And they took forward a man by the name of Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Qahtani. And they said, this is the Mahdi that has been predicted in the Sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu And at the end of a gun, they forced the Hujjaj, the Indians, Pakistanis, Bengalis, Egyptians, have no clue what's going on. They forced them. You have to give the oath of allegiance. These are Hujjaj. It was the Hajj season. Many of the Hujjaj were still there. It was just a, a, a few weeks after Hajj, first of Muharram, right? Three weeks after Hajj, most of the Hujjaj were still still there and they didn't understand what's going on all they know is guns and whatnot and point and shoot so they were forced to give the oath of allegiance to this man not understanding what is happening and then they locked shut the doors of the haram and they barricaded with machine guns and they went took snipers to the very minarets that we know. This is the same structure that still exists. They took snipers to the minarets of the haram and of course as you know the agencies and the government and whatnot as you know, with, with, without trying to be too harsh, but they are not prepared to deal with these things. And frankly, they 
don't have emergency plans in place. Let's just be very nice about it. They have no clue what is going on. It took them a day even to react to what is going on. They have no clue what is happening. And they send in the first you know, group of soldiers and the snipers shoot them dead. Blood was shed on that day. On the first of Muharram, the very end of the first of Muharram, blood was shed. And that's when the government went into panic mode. They had no clue what is going on. No understanding of what is happening. And they wanted to clamp down on all the media which made matters worse because rumors began to spread. Who is holding the Kaaba hostage? Salah was stopped in the Kaaba for almost two weeks. Tawaf was stopped. People stopped doing Tawaf. People were almost starving because they were held hostage. The Hujjaj over there. Firstly, women, children as well. Then after a few days, they let the women and children out. But then many of the men were forced and then eventually bit by bit, they left the men go until only the core fanatics remained. Almost two weeks later, the Saudi military, uh, with the help of French commandos, there were no Pakistanis involved, sorry to burst the bubble, but there were no Pakistanis involved, no Pakistani commandos, no, that didn't happen, these are grandmother's tales. French commandos, the CIA of France, you know, the secret military police of France was brought in, and they were stationed in Ta'if, and they taught the Saudis overnight how to use gas, mustard gas from World War I. They taught them how to use very difficult techniques like electrocuting people in water. Very, very dastardly, but there was nothing to be done. And after a grim battle with hundreds of people dying in the course of two weeks, obviously I'm being very hasty about this, hundreds, we don't know the actual number of people that were killed. Hundreds of police officers and hundreds of the people of the followers of this fanatic. And these bodies and corpses were in front of the Kaaba itself. And there's gun war battle going on between the, 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 the very pillars. They tried to storm Safa and Marwa with tanks. And so the, 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 the staircase leading up to Safa was destroyed because the tanks tried to attempt to go in. But the guy that they called the Mahdi rushed in and he threw a grenade into the tank. And the tank exploded. And they took this as a sign that Allah was on their side, that they destroyed the tank. This made them even more confident that the haqq is with us and Allah is on our side. And they kept on fighting to the very end until finally, after a very bitter, bitter battle with uh, the help of, as we said, the French commandos and the techniques that they, that they devised, finally, the last bastion of this group surrendered. Over 70 plus of them were caught alive. And every one of them, except for four or five who were below the age of 15. They were executed uh, by, the, by chopping off of their heads around the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And they were nationalities of all types, Saudis, Yemenis, Pakistanis. There was even one American amongst those fanatics who gave the oath of allegiance. And they thought that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was on their side. And they thought that they had the Mahdi. And as we will study right now, inshallah ta'ala, the hadith tell us that the Mahdi shall be somebody who will seek refuge in the Kaaba and that the oath of allegiance will be given to him between the Rukn and the Maqam between the Rukun Yamani and the Maqam Ibrahim that very short spot that he will stand there and the oath will be given to him so this group essentially wrote a Hollywood script based upon the Ahadith and they chose the actors based upon the script from the Hadith and they then enacted a scene as if it is a Hollywood movie. 
coming from the ahadith and they became the actors and they said okay the hadith mentions he's gonna be called muhammad that name is muhammad the hadith mentions he's gonna have a straight nose this muhammad has a straight nose i'm being oh, this is exactly what the hadith says the hadith mentions that he will be given the bay'ah between the rukun and maqam we're gonna make sure the bay'ah comes between rukun and maqam and the hadith mentions that an army will be sent to fight them in the Kaaba. They will seek refuge in the Kaaba. This is why they went to the Kaaba, by the way. They will seek refuge in the Kaaba. And Allah will miraculously cause the earth to open up and swallow the whole army. This is what they were banking on. What was the end plan? 500 people could not destroy the Saudi government. 500 people could not destroy the whole militia or military. What was their goal? They firmly believed, and these were religious fanatics, by the way. They were religious folks. They were Hufav, they were ulama and sons of ulama. They were students at Medina. They were overall righteous people, or at least we should say, people assumed them to be righteous. They weren't in their real lives. They had a misunderstanding of the faith. But outwardly, they appeared to be righteous people, and they felt Allah was on their side. And so they were confident that when we bring the Mahdi to the Kaaba, and the oath will be given to him, no matter what army is sent, Allah will destroy the army. We just have to wait for Allah's help. But no help came. And the Mahdi was killed in the battle, and his picture is still available of that Mahdi, the alleged Mahdi, the pseudo-Mahdi. His picture is still available with a bullet head to his wound, and his whole followers were completely executed. And by the way, FYI, uh, at that time, there was a young Yemeni Saudi by the name of Usama bin Laden. And he said the events of Juhayman, the events of the Mahdi were the first events that inspired me to look into religion. And you can see where the story goes from there. Bin Laden's claim to fame, Bin Laden's understanding of Islam, it was inspired from Juhayman, uh, this person who did this. And he felt that this movement had been wronged by the Saudi government. He was more sympathetic to the movement and people like myself are sympathetic to neither, to be honest. But still, he was more sympathetic to the movement than he was to the people who attacked it. And you see what happens when you go down this line and your understanding of Islam becomes very different from reality. Nonetheless, this story, and by the way, there's an interesting footnote to this story. And subhanallah, uh, by the way, I don't know if I'm, ethnically, I am Pakistani. So whenever I say anything about Pakistan, I am one of you. So it's nothing, don't think I'm, I'm I like to talk about our peoples like this. Our people, mashallah, mashallah. What can I say? We are very enthusiastic about religion. We love to defend and maybe even over-defend when something happens. Rumors spread because of a translation error, translation error, that an American broadcast was the first to broadcast out that the Kaaba is being held hostage. And a Pakistani translator, instead of saying that the source of the news was America, he said, an American group has held the Kaaba hostage. You understand the difference between the two, right? How do you think our lovely people reacted? Who, who remembers? Who was in Pakistan in 1979 and remembers? What did they do? MashaAllah, tabarakallah. They attacked the American consulate in Islamabad. They held, like the Kaaba is being held hostage there, and us Pakistanis held the American embassy hostage in Islamabad. 
and we surrounded it, we attempted to storm, and the Americans, Bichari Log, had no idea what's going on. Why are they attacking? What did we do? They have no clue what's going on. A person lost his life. This is a famous, you know, thing that happened. Again, it was just a quick reaction. We stormed, you know, they stormed the embassy, and people lost their lives, and the Americans were clueless. What is, we didn't do anything. This time, we didn't do anything, they said. Okay. So anyway, so this is one of the stories there that, and a lot of things around the world happened. Iran also jumped on a propaganda. Again, these types of things, groups love to jump and read in their own propaganda. And it's sad. We are not in our religion. We are, we are told to never act hastily. We are told to act with long term, not short term. We don't react emotionally. We think long term. In any case, so this introduction leads us to the concept of the Mahdi. What exactly is the Mahdi? Now, the concept of the Mahdi is one of the signs of Judgment Day. And as you know, I'm doing the series of Judgment Day on every Wednesday. So I thought this would be a perfect time to then kill two birds with one stone and talk about a slightly separate topic that is also linked to our Wednesday seminar. And it's also a very interesting one. What exactly is this concept of the Mahdi? Is it true or is it superstition? Do we really believe in it? Are there authentic evidences? Or is it something that, you know, people have just invented to, uh, you know, misguide uh, humanity. Now, before we begin, what exactly is the word Mahdi? The word Mahdi comes from Hidayah or Huda, which means guidance. And Mahdi means the one who is rightly guided. So Mahdi is a, a name. Maybe one of you is called Mahdi. It's a name. And some of the Khulafa were called Mahdi. And one of the famous Abbas al-Khulafa, his father called him Al-Mahdi, meaning the rightly guided one. And there's nothing wrong with the name. But in this case, Mahdi is a title, not a name. And it means the one whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has rightly guided. Where do we get the information of the Mahdi? The Quran has nothing directly or indirectly about the Mahdi. There is no verse that even indirectly references the Mahdi himself. But we have over 20 ahadith about the Mahdi that are authentic. Some of them in Bukhari and Muslim, but listen to this carefully. The ahadith about the Mahdi in Bukhari and Muslim do not mention the word Mahdi. They mention a leader of the Muslims. Imam of the Muslimin. This is the term in Bukhari and Muslim. Imam of the Muslims. As for other books of hadith, without exception almost, the Sunnah of Abu Dawood, the Jamia of Tirmidhi, the Sunnah of Ibn, Ibn Majah, uh, the uh, uh, Abu Dawood Tirmidhi, the Sunnah of Nisa'i, the Mustadak of Al Hakim, the Mustad of Ahmad, and on and on and on. You find dozens of a hadith, not two, not three, over 20. Some of them are Hassan. Hassan is grade B, B. Plus. None of them, by the way, are sahih. And this is where it gets controversial. Because we should know that hadith is divided into a number of categories. Acceptable are two categories. Sahih and Hassan. Sahih is grade A. Hassan is grade B. It's acceptable, but it's not the level of grade A. It is correct to say there is no sahih hadith bidatihi that mentions the word Mahdi by name. But we have Sahih Hadith that mentions the concept in Bukhari and Muslim. And I'll mention some of them today. And we have over 12 authentic Hassan Hadith, B-level Hadith, that mention the word Mahdi with different Isnads from different Sahaba. Therefore, the concept of the Mahdi 
by and large has been affirmed in Sunni Islam because we have the books of the Sunnah that mention the word Mahdi. And the most famous book of Hadith after Bukhari and Muslim, and that is Sunan Abu Dawood, number three. Bukhari and Muslim, Abu Dawood is number three. The most famous book of Hadith after Bukhari and Muslim, which is Abu Dawood, it has an entire chapter called the chapter of the Mahdi. He entitled a chapter, the chapter of the Mahdi. And in it, he has over a dozen ahadith, different ahadith about the Mahdi. So Abu Dawood, the, the muhaddith, the scholar of hadith, is writing in his famous book, an entire section called the section pertaining to the Mahdi. Sunan At-Tirmidhi also has the chapter about the Mahdi. And in the chapter title is the word Mahdi. Some of the great scholars of hadith, they mentioned belief in the Mahdi as being one of the signs of judgment day. And therefore, it is correct to say that the vast majority of scholars of our tradition, they affirm the concept of this righteous person coming towards the end of times. And they... Uh, believed in this concept. Now, we are going to mention, inshallah ta'ala today, the difference between what we believe and what some of the other groups believe. But Sunnis, generally speaking, we do believe in the Mahdi. Why? Because it's in the books of Sunnah. It's in the books of Hadith, and we affirm the books of Hadith. So, let us now mention at least 10 or so of these Hadith, and from them let us derive some of the characteristics of the Mahdi. Of them, authentic hadith in Sunan Abu Dawood, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, hadith is in Abu Dawood, if there was only one day left in this world, Allah would make it longer so that a person from my family, my descendants will come, whose name is the same as mine, and whose father's name is the same as my father's, and he will fill the world, the, the world with justice like it had been filled with injustice. This is the most authentic Hassan hadith about the Mahdi. Its isnad is perfectly good and it is found in Sunan al-Tirmidhi. From it we learn three things. Well, more but at least three. Number one, the name of the Mahdi will be what? Muhammad. Number two, Ibn who? Ibn Abdullah. Number three, what will he do? Fill the world with justice as it had been filled with injustice. Now we can also add one more point here, number four. When will this happen? Towards the end of times. Because the hadith begins with what? If there's only one day left, Allah will make it longer. Which means the Mahdi will come towards the end of times. Now, who is or where will this lineage be from? In Sunan Abu Dawood as well, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Al-Mahdiyu min itrati min waladi Fatima. The Mahdi is from my family, from the children of Fatima. How many children did Fatima have in terms of sons? Two, Hassan and Hussein. So the Mahdi will be from Hassan and Hussein. Which of these two? There's nothing authentic from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but Abu Dawood said, through an isna that he takes to Ali radiallahu an, that Ali radiallahu an looked to his son Hassan and he said, this son of mine Hassan is a leader because the Prophet called him a leader and from his children shall come a person whose name will be the name of your Prophet and he will resemble your Prophet in mannerisms but not in manner. He will resemble the akhlaq but not the, the physical face of the Prophet His akhlaq will be the Prophet but not his khuluq or his, uh, his, his face 
will not be like the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So from this, not a hadith is has, it's Ali saying it. Ali radiallahu an is saying what the Mahdi will be from whose lineage? Hassan radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And this is the predominant position. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions the majority of our scholars say the Mahdi will be from the children of al-Hassan radiallahu an. This is in contrast to the non-Sunni group. You know, there are two big groups in the Muslim world. And I try my best to not mention names so as not to invoke or provoke any animosity. We, we, we don't teach, I will never teach hatred of other Muslim groups. That is not my philosophy. But we should educate. And we respectfully disagree with the non-Sunni group and the non-Sunni group it says that the Mahdi is from the children of Hussein and they have their 12th Imam that they're waiting for and they call him the Mahdi and this is one of the differences between us and them and of many many differences and Ibn Al-Qayyim also mentions an interesting point here that it is befitting that the Mahdi be from the progeny of Hassan because Hassan radiallahu an he gave up the Khilafah for the unity of the Muslims and Hussein radiallahu anhu, and there's nothing wrong with this, he strove for the Khilafah thinking, and he was right in that assumption, that he would be good and better than the person in charge. But in that, a tragedy happened. So Hassan radiallahu anhu gave up the kursi after having had it. So Allah will bless him with his progeny to get the kursi back. And Allah will bless him that of his progeny will be the real and the actual Mahdi who will eventually unite the Muslim ummah and fill the world with uh, justice. So of the hadith about the Mahdi as well is the hadith reported also in the Sunan of Abu Dawood that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, Al-Mahdi minni. The Mahdi is from my children, my progeny. And his forehead shall be large and wide and his nose will be aquiline. So the nose is not going to be a flat nose. It's going to be an aquiline, a sharp nose. And the forehead will be larger. So in other words, like you, you know, some people, they have a large forehead. So this Mahdi will have a large forehead. So the Prophet gave us physical characteristics. By the way, this false Mahdi in 1979, he had a large forehead and an aquiline nose. And so they took the hadith and they said, let's see who has the large forehead. And they hunt, headhunted, you know, like Hollywood hunts for actors. They hunted for the Mahdi. And see, we're going to get to this point, but you already know what I'm going to say. We do not write a Hollywood script from the Hadith. When it happens, it happens. We do not become actors and write a movie that we think we're going to play in. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring it about. We do not do it ourselves and expedite the process. What happens will happen. And the Mahdi will indeed have a large forehead and aquiline nose. But we don't do you know, head hunting and seeing who will be like that. Also, in the Sunan of Ibn Majah, we learn another characteristic of the Mahdi. And I'm going over all these references quickly because this is not the time to go into a lot of detail. That is my mannerisms. I'm not going to quote you the page number and whatnot. Uh, whoever is interested, inshallah, there are resources and references for that. But uh, everything I'm quoting you is inshallah Hassan or Sahih. Uh, the Sunan Ibn, Ibn Majah reports that the Prophet ﷺ said, Al-Mahdi minna ahl al-bayt. The Mahdi is from us, ahl al-bayt. Yuslihuhu Allahu fi layla. Allah will rectify him and make him righteous in one night. What does this mean? Our scholars mention that this means the Mahdi will grow up and people will not assume that he is a very religious person. He might be an average Muslim, maybe, maybe even below average. But something will happen and in one night the Mahdi will become a righteous person. And this gives hope to all of us who are sinful. 
that if even the Mahdi will start off at a low level, and something will trigger and tawbah will take place and the Mahdi will repent and become such a righteous person. So even the Mahdi, his lifestyle at the beginning of his life will not be at the end of his life. The Prophet said, Allah will change him and correct him in one night. Correcting means he was incorrect. Salih means he was not Salih before that night. So this is a bashara for us who are all sinners that Allah can change anyone from anything. Some of the Sahaba used to do very evil things. Then Allah guided them to Islam and look what happened after that. So we should not look at the past. Rather, we should look at the future. Of the things that we learn about the Mahdi as well, and this is something that should give us pause for thought in the time frame that we live in, is that the hadith mentioned, hadith is in Abu Dawood, that the Prophet ﷺ said, the earth will be full of injustice. The earth will be full of injustice and tyranny. And the Mahdi will come and fill it with justice and with truth. Which means the world will be a very, very depressing place before the Mahdi. The earth will be full of injustice. And if you look at what is going on now, Allahul Musta'an. But we are, it looks like in that direction now, from bad to worse, from bad to worse. The world is getting worse and worse and worse. A time will come when the world will be full of injustice. The world will be dark and bleak and black. And in that darkness, Allah will send a light for the ummah. In that darkness, when it looks like there is no hope, Allah Azza wa Jal will send someone who will unite the Muslims and will then change the situation of the earth from injustice back into uh, justice. So this is one of the beautiful predictions that terrifies us but also gives us comfort. That you know, it will get bad, but after it gets bad, inshallah it will be good. Another hadith mentions, and this is one of the most famous hadith, and unfortunately some of the incorrect groups of our times, and I do not shy away from mentioning those groups because I do not agree with their methodology at all. Uh, one of the reasons why the term Mahdi has reappeared in modern times is of course because of this group known as ISIS, which is now on its last legs. And this group ISIS, it elected its chieftain or leader, and it basically gave him the title of Khilafa, Khalifa, and they were hoping that the Mahdi will come from amongst their group as well. And by the way, take it as a rule of thumb, my dear brothers and sisters, historically speaking, mark my words, write it down, and examine history yourself. Anytime somebody attempted to expedite the Mahdi, they ended up becoming worse fanatics than the people they thought they were fighting against. Take this as a rule of thumb. Anytime somebody thought, we will bring the Mahdi to fill the world with justice, they ended up doing more injustice than the injustice that caused them to go stand up and fight. And we learned this from the 1979 coup. They were angry, by the way. I didn't get into a lot of detail here. Why did those people, why were they angry? Because of the westernization of the land of Islam. Because of the influences of the country we live in. Because of the alcohol. And by the way, at that time there was alcohol being sold there. At that time there was gambling. At that time there was casinos. And there was things in the land there that was well known. This group said, how dare these things happen close to Mecca and Medina? We are going to revolt. By doing what? Holding the Kaaba hostage. Think, you know, you're going to bring about some khair, you think, 
by attacking the Kaaba and killing people in front of the Kaaba. Hundreds of people died. But this is what fanaticism does. And we see as well with this group of ISIS. They think they're doing so much good, but in reality they have caused more harm for Islam and the Ummah. And they have justified Islamophobic practices. And they have justified the rise of the far right more than anything else that anybody could have done. So you think you're doing something good, you end up doing something worse. So why did I get into the concept of ISIS? Because ISIS attempted to write as well their Hollywood script. What did they do? One hadith mentions, and this hadith is in uh, is in Mustad ibn Muhammad and also the Mustadrak of Al-Hakim. One hadith men will mention, and this is a very interesting hadith. Listen to this. Three sons of leaders of yours, this is a hadith, will fight for the treasures under the Kaaba. Three sons of leaders. So their fathers were kings or leaders. So there's three princes now. They're going to be fighting a war. Where? In the land of the Haram. Allahumma sallam. If you look what's happening now, Allahumma sallam. So they're going to be fighting around the Haram. And then none of them will be successful. The civil war between the Muslims, none of them will come out to be the winner. Winner. Then Allah will send armies with black banners and flags from the lands of Khorasan. Khorasan, Trans-Oxania. Khorasan is where basically Iraq and some of the Iranian lands of today. That's where Khorasan is, right? Allah will send groups of people from Khorasan with black banners, with black banners, and they will come and they will be the victors over this internal civil war going on. Now, do you understand why ISIS took a black banner as its flag? Right? Do you understand why? From this hadith, they said, we will be that people. And they, in fact, established their headquarters in a village called Adabiq, which is mentioned in one of the hadith as being one of the important hadith of the end of times. So once again, they're taking from the hadith and they're writing a Hollywood script. They want to enact the hadith. And they think that they will be the actors that will play through the script of these hadith. And then what's going to happen? They're going to cause more fitna and chaos as they have done. They took as their headquarters the city of Adabiq. In fact, they attempted to capture Adabiq very early on, which is in Syria now. And they eventually captured it. And immediately they moved their headquarters over there. And they made their newsletter uh, called Adabiq. Their newsletter was called Adabiq after the city. Because the hadith mentions that the great war, the malhama, will take place around the city of Adabiq. So they said, we are the ones that will do it. And what happened, happened as you know, the rest, as they say, is history. The point is that this hadith mentions what? It mentions that an army will come from Khorasan and it will have black flags as banners. Now, ISIS was not the first group to attempt to enact this hadith. A thousand years ago, one of the greatest dynasties of Islam started off with a messianic twist. And that dynasty is the Abbasid dynasty. The Abbasid dynasty that fought against the Umayyads, the Abbasid dynasty adopted as its banner, the black flag. The flag of the Abbasids was black. And their armies came from Khorasan. And their leader was called Abu Muslim al-Khurasani. Why? Because they too thought, let us enact this hadith. 
and let us see if we are the Mahdi. And they even call some of their rulers the Mahdi. One of the most famous Abbasids is called the Mahdi because his father thought, inshallah, my son will be the Mahdi. But neither this nor that, you cannot enact the hadith. You cannot pretend as if you will be the one. No, when it happens, it happens. But you cannot expedite Allah's qadr and you cannot pretend that you will be doing that. So the point is the Abbasids attempted to do the same thing. They adopted the black banner as well and that also was used against them. Now there's a very interesting hadith uh, which is weak. It is slightly weak. There's a person in it whose memory is not stable. And slightly weak hadith, we may quote them and point out this hadith is slightly weak. And it is reported in the uh, Sunan of Ibn Majah. In the Sunan of Ibn Majah. Sorry, in the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi. In the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi. In the book of Al-Fitan. In the book of Fitan. And Tirmidhi himself says, Hada hadithun gharib. This is a strange or a weak hadith. But this hadith adds a very different twist. And in fact, inshallah, the isnad is weak. But insha'Allah, the concept gives us hope. The concept gives us hope. What is the concept? The Prophet ﷺ is reported to have said, there shall come from Khurasan armies with black banners and nothing will defeat or no one will defeat these armies until they plant their flags in Baytul Maqdis. What is the twist over here? The twist is, the Mahdi shall liberate Baytul Maqdis. This is a twist that is not mentioned in any hadith except this one. Where is it found? Sunan al-Tirmidhi. But as we said, there's one narrator who he is not leaving level B, he's level C. And level C is weak. Level C, the scholars of hadith, if you weren't 100%, if they couldn't trust you, but you weren't evil or bad, they put you as da'if, you couldn't be trusted, you're not 100% sure. So this hadith is narrated, one of its narrators in the middle of the chain, he's somebody that we cannot be sure. Maybe the Prophet said it, maybe he didn't. We can't be certain. So it is an if, a question mark. Insha'Allah, if he said it, it gives us hope. What does it give us hope for? That the crisis in that region, it will be solved at the hands of the Mahdi. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best about that, about that uh, issue. Another thing that is mentioned, I've already mentioned around seven hadith of the Mahdi. Another concept that is mentioned about the Mahdi is that the Mahdi is from Medina. And that the Mahdi will flee from Medina to Makkah. The Mahdi is raised in Medina and he is a Madani. But circumstances will happen. He will feel threatened and he will flee from Mecca to Medina. And this hadith is also mentioned in Abu Dawood where the Prophet ﷺ said, a man shall flee from Medina rushing towards Mecca and the people will come to him even though he does not want them to come and they shall force him to accept the bay'ah between the rukun and the maqam and he will not want to accept the bay'ah. Now this hadith explains why the 79 group did what it did. The 1979 group, they took this guy and they gave the bay'ah between the rukun and the maqam. But you see right here, the story is crumbling. What does this hadith say? Where will he be from? Medina. This guy Muhammad ibn Abdullah al-Qahtani, he was from Riyadh. What does the hadith say? Will he willingly come to Mecca or will he flee? Flee. They brought him in a caravan, a GMC. They drove him down happily. Okay. What does he, this hadith say? Will he want to be the Mahdi or will he say, no, don't give it to me. He's got it. He's saying, no, I am not. He's going to reject and deny that he's the Mahdi. 
But the people will say, no, we need you to be a leader. You are the best amongst us. You have to be our leader. So they will force it upon him and he will not want it. What did this group do? They took a gun, they pointed it at the hujjaj and they forced it on them and not on the Mahdi. You cannot write the script from the hadith of the Prophet doesn't work that way. It's not going to happen. The Mahdi will not claim to be the Mahdi. And subhanAllah, I'm jumping the gun, but write this down. Anyone who says he's the Mahdi, you know he's lying. From the hadith. Anyone who claims in the basement of his mother's house while he's giving lectures on YouTube, I am the Mahdi. You know he's a liar right then and there. The Mahdi will not want to be the Mahdi. The people will force it on him. The people will say, we don't have a choice. You are our leader. We want you to be. And he will not want to accept it, but he will find himself having no other choice except to do it grudgingly. And that is why anyone who begins to tell the people, come to me, I am the Mahdi. And he has two people, five people, 10 people. He is a liar by the text of the Hadith. No Mahdi will claim to be the Mahdi telling you to come and give bay'ah to him. That is going to happen from the people. The people will love him. The people will respect him because of his akhlaq. Not because the Mahdi is saying, I am the Mahdi, give bay'ah to me. So this hadith mentions a very important concept that the Mahdi is from Medina, born and raised. One day he shall overcome a change. He'll become a righteous person. And most likely, uh, this is now we are reading in, most likely uh, certain political calamities will be taking place. And the rulers of their times will know that this person is a threat to us. Why? We do not know. Maybe in his ancestry with somebody, maybe rumors are spreading he's the Mahdi. We don't know. But the rulers will say this man is a threat. So the man will become scared, flee for his life. He will not have an army. He will not have a group of people that are fanatics with clash and and submachine guns. Alone, single-handedly, he will run towards Mecca, fleeing towards Mecca. Why Mecca? Because according to our Sharia, once you enter Mecca, وَمَنْ دَخَلَهُ كَانَ amina. According to our Sharia, when you enter Mecca, no one is allowed to hurt you. Even if you are a criminal in our Sharia, when you enter Mecca, nobody can touch you. You're under the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Mahdi will flee to Mecca, wanting Allah to protect him. Then what will happen? The next hadith. And this is the only hadith in Bukhari and Muslim that... Uh, well, not the only, I should say, not the only, one of two, I should say, that indirectly mentions the Mahdi, indirectly. So this hadith is muttafaq alayh, Bukhari and Muslim, the highest level. What does it say? Aisha said that the Prophet ﷺ, one day he grew restless because he had a dream. And then he said, I saw something in my dream that made me restless. He's telling Aisha. It was wondrous, amazing, strange. I saw that a group of people from my ummah, they were attacking the Kaaba, And they reached the land called Al-Bayda. Al-Bayda, if you go to Haram, Mecca, Medina, you know Ajiyad? You know Ajiyad Hospital, Ajiyad Road? Before it is Bayda. So if you're going to Mecca from Ajiyad direction, before you get to Ajiyad, you will go through the land of Bayda or the valley of Al-Bayda. So the Prophet said, they will go through Al-Bayda and Allah will cause the earth to open up and the whole army will come crashing and be destroyed. This hadith is where? Bukhari and Muslim. Does it mention the Mahdi? 
No mention. What does it mention? An army of Muslims is attacking the Kaaba. Why would the army of Muslims attack the Kaaba? Go back to the last hadith in Abu Dawood, which is not in Bukhari and Muslim. A man from Medina shall flee, the Mahdi shall flee, seek refuge in the Kaaba. And the people will give him bay'ah. So then we add this hadith. The governments of the time will become terrified. Who is this political agitator? Send in the troops. This is what the 1979 group wanted to happen. This is what they banked on. We will be that group. Let the government come and Allah will destroy the army. But as we said, you cannot do that. In any case, this hadith mentions that the army will be destroyed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, by the way, when this happens, this is the sign the Mahdi has come. Until that happens, nobody can claim to be the Mahdi. Anybody who claims to be the Mahdi is lying. Because even the Mahdi himself will say, no, no, it can't be me. I'm not good enough. He will deny it. And this is what true leadership does. True leadership, they don't want to be leaders. They will deny, no, no, like Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. He chose Abu Ubaidah, Umar al Khattab. Choose them, not me. This is what the real leader does. So the Mahdi will grudgingly take the bay'ah. The army will be sent. When the army is destroyed by Allah, this is the sign. Everybody now knows this is the Mahdi. Until that happens, please brothers and sisters, don't be fooled by the sweet talk of the sweet talkers. Don't be fooled by the tongue of the vipers. There is no Mahdi that will preach he is the Mahdi. When Allah shows this sign, then we will all know that this person is indeed the uh, Mahdi. And uh, we also have the hadith as well that uh, uh, the hadith is in Sunan uh, is in the Musnad of Imam uh, Ahmed. The hadith is in the Musnad of Imam Ahmed that the Prophet said, "A man shall be given the oath of allegiance between the rukun and the maqam. A man shall be given the oath of allegiance between rukun yamani and the maqam, and and." No one shall attack the Kaaba except its own people. I'll explain this. So do not ask about the destructions of the Arab at that point in time. And then the Ethiopians are going to come and destroy the Kaaba and it will never be worshipped after that. Now this hadith is cryptic as is most hadith of the end of times, but it tells us a number of things. First and foremost, the Mahdi will be between the Rukun and the Maqam as we said. Uh, I made a mistake. I said, Rukun Yamani, Rukun Yamani, scratch that. When the Prophet said Rukun, he means Hajar Aswad. Sorry, my mistake. My mind wasn't thinking. Whenever the Rukun is mentioned, it's the Hajar Aswad. So between the Hajar Aswad and the Maqam Ibrahim. So between the Hajar Aswad and the Maqam Ibrahim. In the time of the Prophet, you all know Maqam Ibrahim, right? You all know Maqam Ibrahim. In the time of the Prophet, the Maqam Ibrahim was attached to the Kaaba. It was connected to the Kaaba. So there was the space of five feet between the Hajar Aswad and the Maqam Ibrahim. Umar ibn al-Khattab, one year he was doing Hajj and he saw all of the crowd jostling and shoving and the Maqam was uh, making it difficult. So he said, you know what? I'll make life easier for them. I will make the Maqam some distance so that the Hujjaj can fit between the house of Allah and the Maqam Ibrahim. And he thought that was sufficient space for the Hujjaj to go and do Hajj. But subhanAllah, that was 1440 years ago. And now, as you know, the Maqam, even in low season, even if you go at 3 a.m. in the month of February, 
you will still find people, you know, packed between the maqam and whatnot. So this is uh, the sunnah of Umar ibn Khattab that he moved the maqam back. Otherwise, the maqam was connected to the Kaaba. Anyway, what is the phrase, and none shall attack the Kaaba except its own people? This is a blessing from Allah and a sadness to us. The blessing from Allah. No non-Muslim army will ever attack Mecca. Alhamdulillah. This is a blessing from Allah. Let all these Islamophobes give their false memes and threats and whatnot. No non-Muslim army will ever even attempt to attack Mecca. It's not going to happen. As long as there are Muslims in this world, Mecca will never be attacked by non-Muslims. But who will attack Mecca? وَلَنْ يَسْتَحِلَّ الْبَيْتَ إِلَّا أَهْلُهُ Its own Ahl will attack Mecca. And in Islamic history, there are a number of dynasties, including the current dynasty that is there. They had to physically attack and remove the Sharif family, whose great-great-great-grandson is now the Jordan site. His great-great-great-grandfather was attacked by the great-grandfather of the current king over here. And Mecca was attacked to get rid of one dynasty. It wasn't the only time. It, was, it will not be the last time as well. In the course of Islamic history, Mecca was attacked dozens of times by Muslims for politics for political dynasties, and including many attacks like these ones by the fanatical groups as well, and including actual wars between dynasties for the sake of kingdoms. So the Prophet predicted, no one shall attack Mecca except its own people. And this is sadness for us, but at least some comfort that externally Allah will protect the Kaaba. Until there are no Muslims left in the earth, when there are no Muslims left, then what's gonna happen? There shall be an army from Habasha. We'll talk about that, inshallah, in our Wednesday lectures. There shall be an army from Ethiopia that will come and destroy the Kaaba when there are no more Muslims. This is towards the end of times before the actual trumpet is blown, and that is towards the end of times after uh, after the Muslims have uh, disappeared from earth. Of the uh, of the characteristics of the Mahdi as well, of the characteristics of the Mahdi as well that are mentioned in the authentic Hadith is that he shall be the leader of the entire Muslim Ummah. And this is an amazing phenomenon, the likes of which we have not seen since the times of early Islam. Since the times of early Islam. Our Ummah has been disunited politically since the times of really, even in Ali radiallahu anhu's time, the Ummah divided up into two as we know, and the wars took place. And since that point in time, even the Khulafa, at one point in time, we had three Khulafa ruling. One of them in Cairo, one of them in Baghdad, and one of them in Andalus, in Qurtuba. We had three Khulafa, each one saying, I am Khalifatullah fil ard. And throughout Islamic history, we've had many dynasties who were acting as if they were Khulafa, even if they didn't call themselves Khulafa. The Ummah has never been united politically since the time of the Khulafa al-Rashidun. But there shall come one time when it will be united again. And that will be when? It will be under the time of the Mahdi. And that point in time will be of the greatest periods known to Islamic history. Our Prophet praised the Mahdi in a number of a hadith. And he said, and this is one of those hadith that is in Sahih Muslim, so it is an authentic hadith, but the word Mahdi is not mentioned. The Prophet said, towards the end of times, there shall be a Khalifa who shall give money to the poor and he won't even count it. He's praising, it's going to be generous. And another hadith that towards the end of times, there shall be uh, the, 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 the Imam, the Imam shall be from amongst you, Imamukum Minkum. Sorry, let me rephrase that, sorry. Not towards the end of time. The hadith begins. 
essentially it translates as can you imagine but the wording is how will you be but when the Prophet said how will you be what it means in English is can you imagine can you imagine that time can you imagine a time when Isa ibn Maryam will come down from the heavens this hadith is Sahih Muslim and your Imam is from amongst you wa imamukum minkum and Isa will come down at Fajr time and he will be asked by the Imam, come lead salah. And Isa will say, no, the Iqamah was called for you. So he will be led by one of you, takrimatan lihadihil ummah, as an honor to this ummah. This hadith is in Sahih Muslim. It is authentic. Does it mention the word Mahdi? No. What does it mention? Wa imamukum minkum. This is one of the most authentic hadith about the concept of the Mahdi. Who will have the honor that Isa will come down and he is the Imam? Who will have the honor that Isa will pray behind somebody from our Ummah? That's what the Prophet said. He will be from our Ummah and Isa will pray behind him. Who is that person? He is none other than the Mahdi. So the concept of the Mahdi is found in Bukhari and Muslim without the term Mahdi. But the term Mahdi is found in every single other book. In another hadith, also in Abu Dawood and Muslim Imam Ahmad, we learn that the Mahdi shall rule for seven years. In the authentic hadith, it says he shall rule for seven years. So we have a time frame as well, that the Mahdi will be powerful, the Mahdi will not be alive because he's going to be alive for many years, but he will rule for seven years. So he will establish his authority, his dominion, and he will rule for seven years. We also learn, and this hadith as well is in Sahih Muslim. So this is another one of those hadith that mentions the Mahdi indirectly. We also learn that there shall be a great war taking place and the Muslims will be successful and a rumor will be spread that the Dajjal has come out. So their Imam will take the army to try to find the Dajjal, but it will be found that the rumor is not true. When they have found the rumor is not true, lo and behold, the Dajjal will come at that point in time. So we learn from this, again the word Mahdi doesn't come. We learn from this, when will the Mahdi come? Before the Dajjal. If you attended on Wednesday, my lecture series I'm giving, I said the Mahdi is the last of the minor signs that links to the major signs. Now you understand why. The Mahdi is the last of the minor signs that links to the major signs. In the time of the Mahdi, the Dajjal will come. The Muslims will attempt to fight the Dajjal back and forth. Will they be successful? No. No one can kill the Dajjal, not even the Mahdi. Who can kill the Dajjal? Only one. And that is Isa ibn Maryam. But what will the Mahdi do? The Mahdi will provide peace and stability for the people with him. Those that are with the Mahdi, some protection will be given. Some safety will be there. And they will be running and fighting in various places. Many will die shaheed, but the group will still be there. Until the hadith mentions in Sahih Muslim, this one, the, this army will be in Damascus, in, in, in Damascus, in Damascus. And they will be praying in the Umayyad Mosque. The hadith doesn't say Umayyad Mosque. The hadith says, with the white minaret. And pretty much by unanimous consensus, the white minaret is the minaret that was built, one of the earliest masjids that is still 
uh, standing today and being used today is the Umayyad Mosque built by Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, 1,350 years old, the same structure, continuous masjid. And he built it with a beautiful white minaret, perhaps not even knowing the hadith. And the hadith mentions that the Muslims will pray in Damascus in front of the white minaret. And as the iqamah is given for Salat al-Fajr, lo and behold, they will see Isa coming down, holding on to two angels. And he will come down, they will pause Fajr until he comes down. You don't have to ask identity when somebody comes from the heavens, okay? It's pretty obvious who that person is going to be. You don't have to wonder already that the Dajjal has come. Already things have happened. They're waiting for him to come. They're literally waiting. When, it, when is Isa going to come? So they're there in Damascus waiting, waiting, waiting. When he comes, they know exactly who it is. So as soon as he comes down, the Imam... Hadith doesn't say Mahdi. The Imam, your Imam, will offer him the Salah. And he will say, no. The iqamah was given for you. You go ahead and lead. And then, after this, there is no mention of the Mahdi whatsoever. This is the final mention. Why? Because obviously with the coming of Isa, the Mahdi is eclipsed now. The job of the Mahdi is done. Does he live longer? Does he die right after this? Is he alive to see the Dajjal killed? Not a single peep in the Hadith. Nothing goes silent. We don't know. Nobody can say anything. He might be alive till the end of times. He might die a natural death right after Fajr. We don't know. His role is gone. His job has been done. What was his job? For those seven years to bring stability and izzah at a time of great tyranny. The world is having global issues. The Muslim ummah is on the decline and the Mahdi will come and cheer people up and make people realize there is hope, there is khair. Those who stick with him, they will be united with the ummah and there shall be peace where he is until the Dajjal comes. When the Dajjal comes, the Mahdi will just do whatever he can waiting for Isa to come and then Isa alayhi salam will come and take over from there. Now there's one another hadith which is also cryptic which is also cryptic and it is also reported in Sahih Muslim and we do not know and we do not know whether this is related to the Mahdi or not we do not know but it is my assumption and Allah knows best that it is related to the Mahdi and this is also the ishtihad of many ulama that this hadith is related to the Mahdi and it's a long hadith and it was this hadith that caused ISIS to do some of what it did as well and this hadith is authentic and the hadith goes as follows Judgment will not happen until the Romans encamp at a land called Dabiq, which is a small village in Syria. Okay? Until the Romans camp at a land called Dabiq. And an army will come from Medina, who are the best of the people in the earth. And they will face this army from Rome in the village of Dabiq. Now pause here. Right here, ISIS narrative crumbles. Where did the army of ISIS come from? Not from Medina. You understand? You cannot take one portion, another portion, and enact your own hadith. ISIS's army did not come from Medina. The majority of them, in fact, came from Belgium and France. Around 100 from America. You know, Minnesota had 20 or 30. This is their army. 
Each one thinking we are going to reestablish the, khil- the Khilafah by executing hostages. And wallah, I mean, again, where do they... This is what happens when you have a crazed understanding of the religion. You don't understand yani, right from wrong and you end up doing more wrong than, than good. And our Prophet warned us about these fanatics and maybe one day, inshallah, give a khutbah or a lecture about the characteristics of the Kharijites. Because this group is exactly Kharijite. This group is exactly that fundamentalist group. They think they are doing good and they end up doing more harm than good. But this hadith mentions what? It mentions Dabiq and it mentions the great Armageddon. And then the hadith goes on. I'm not going to go into all of it. Uh, it basically mentions until this army will then go towards Constantinople and conquer Constantinople. Now, this hadith is very problematic for all commentators of our times. Nobody has a clear understanding of what this hadith means. And how can we? Because what is Constantinople? Istanbul. What does it mean they're going to conquer Constantinople? Allahu A'lam. Does it mean that it will go back into non-Muslim hands? Does it mean that Allahu A'lam? What does it mean? We have no idea. But this hadith mentions that that army which is going from Medina, which army is leaving from Medina towards the end of time? Is it the army of the Mahdi? It will fight the Armageddon. It will be successful. It will continue fighting until finally it will conquer Qasthantiniya, which is Constantinople. So we have, and this is in Sahih Muslim, that's authentic. And the other hadith, Jerusalem, which is in Tirmidhi, which is not authentic. Put together, it appears we form some type of narrative. The army of the Mahdi will unify the Muslim world. It appears. We can make a tentative hypothesis. It's tentative, it's not explicit. The army of the Mahdi will unify the Muslim world and there shall be peace and justice until Dajjal comes. And when Dajjal comes, once again there will be turmoil and then Isa will come. Once again there will be peace and then Ya'juj and Ma'juj. So we're going to talk about this towards the end of times. You guys remember your sine wave from university, right? You remember your sine wave? Towards the end of times, the sine wave goes higher and lower and higher and lower. This is what's going to happen. That from bad to worse to better to worse to even better to worse, this is what's going to happen. Very quickly, dramatic shifts. This is what we see in this hadith, right? So the Mahdi, the Jal Isa, they're all going to be doing uh, these things. And basically the hadith mention all of these characteristics of the Mahdi and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, I mentioned around a dozen in the last 40 minutes a hadith of the Mahdi and some of the characteristics of the Mahdi. And as I told you before, there are over 30 hadith about the Mahdi narrated by over 30 Sahaba. Because of this, it has been a standard feature of mainstream Sunni Islam to accept the concept of the Mahdi. And there's a long list of our classical ulama, Al-Hasan al-Basri, Mujahid ibn Jabr, uh, many of the classic ulama, Imam Ahd ibn Hanbal, others, they talked about the Mahdi. And there were books written by our Sunni scholars, such as Nu'aym ibn Hamad, one of the great scholars of Hadith, he wrote a book called the Book of Mahdi. Ibn Kathir, the famous Mufassir, he wrote a book called the Book of Mahdi. As-Suyuti, our great scholar, also wrote a book about the Hadith of the Mahdi. So, the claim that some misguided Sunnis make, oh, we Sunnis don't believe in the Mahdi. This person doesn't know Sunni history. The concept of the Mahdi comes from Sunni Islam. Other groups took it and distorted it and converted it and scrambled it and fried it and presented it different than what is found in the hadith. In these hadith, 
Did we ever come across any narration that says that the Mahdi will fly in the air? The Mahdi will walk on water? The Mahdi will know ilm al-ghayb? The Mahdi will control the creation? The Mahdi will snap his fingers and mount? No! The Mahdi is not supernatural. The Mahdi is not Superman flying around in the air. The Mahdi is a mortal made of flesh and blood, but his piety will unite the Ummah. That's all that it is. The Mahdi is not superhuman. There are no characteristics of the Mahdi that we're scratching our heads. It's only that he's a unifying figure, a righteous man from the descendants of Hassan radiallahu anhu who will unite the Muslim Ummah and that's it. Now, the concept of the Mahdi has been misused and abused for the last 14 centuries. Not just by ISIS, not just by Juhayman in 1979. From the beginning of times, there were people who took this concept and they wanted to pretend they are the Mahdi. Some of them were politically successful, but religiously they were not. Of them is the Abbasids. The Abbasids, they thought they will enact the hadith of the Mahdi. And that's why they started their armies in Khurasan and they took as their banners the black flag. And they had this theology of the Mahdi. But once they got into power and they realized they're not the Mahdi, khalas, they went their way and they adopted their, they abandoned their, their sectarianism and they continued politically. And many, many various you know, groups um, uh, from within uh, Islam, uh, even within uh, Sunnism, if you like, they followed this concept of the uh, Mahdi. Of them, most famously as well, last century, there was a Sudanese Mahdi as well, uh, who established a dynasty in the 1880s. And he fought against the British colonialists. And he established an entire political region for 30 or 40 years. And he was calling himself the Mahdi. As well, there was Ibn Tumart uh, in the time of Imam al-Ghazali. There was a person by the name of Ibn Tumart who established a land and a dynasty in North Africa and even in parts of Andalus. And he called himself the Mahdi as well. And he was successful politically. But then... Yusuf ibn Tashfin came along. These are all long stories and he destroyed them. But he did establish a land politically. And he said he is the Mahdi. And other groups as well. And these people claim to be Sunni, by the way. The Mahdi of Sudan claimed to be Sunni. The Mahdi of 1979 claimed to be Sunni. The Mahdi of Ibn Tumar claimed to be Sunni. They were all within Sunni Islam and they thought that they were doing something righteous. But all of them shed blood. And all of them were murderous in a, trying to establish their power and the Mahdi will not kill anyone. Allah Azza will defend the real Mahdi. Now within non-Sunni Islam, the concept of Mahdi really went far left. Within non-Sunni Islam, this concept became something totally different from within Sunni Islam. And of course, the most obvious group is that of the 12er uh, group of non-Sunnism. Let's leave it at that. The Imamiyyah. Uh, and they, uh, if you know their history, when the 11th Imam died young without having been married, so there is no progeny, there is no heir to the 11th Imam, they invented a mysterious, mysterious, non-existent 12th Imam. And they said, this 12th Imam is the Imam Al-Ghaib, the hidden Imam, and he is the Mahdi. And they took the concept from Sunnism and they tacked it on to their unknown 
non-existent 12th Imam and they said he is the Mahdi and they then made an entire cult and an entire supernatural mystery around the Mahdi and they said that he controls the ilm al-ghayb, controls the future, knows this and that and they gave him all of these different types of things to understand uh, to give him all of the characteristics that we know are not uh, correct. So this is the, the other group. This isn't the only group to uh, consider the Mahdi as well. Other groups as well have used uh, this concept of the Mahdi and we'll just mention one uh, final one of them and that is somebody in 1850s India by the name of Mirza Ghulam Ahmed from a province called Qadian. This person, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed, uh, he began preaching a very different theology from mainstream Islam and he kept on getting a free upgrade to himself. He started off as being, I am just a mujaddid, that's all I am. But then he wasn't happy with that, so he got a free upgrade, free VIP pass. He goes, okay, I'm the Mahdi. For a while he called himself the Mahdi. Wasn't happy with that, he gave himself another upgrade from Mahdi to become what? No, one more between. Masih. He said, I am Masih himself. I am Masih, I am Isa. I am Isa in the flesh. Then he wasn't happy with that, then he said what? I am Nabi. So he kept on going up and up and up and up. And this is, uh, his history is well known. And uh, many of the famous ulama of, of the time, in fact, by unanimous consensus, all of the major ulama of his time, they, uh, they uh, refuted him. And one of the most famous of them was the great Indian alim, Sheikh Thanaullah Al-Armatasri. Al-Armatasri, Shaykh Thanaullah, the famous Indian uh, Shaykh al-Hadith of the time, Shaykh Thanaullah, he made a public mula'ana with Mirza Ghulam. This is one of the most famous incidents in his lifetime. A public mula'ana. What is a public mula'ana? He said, may Allah's curse be on the liar between the two of us so that the one who is lying dies before the one who's telling the truth. What an interesting curse. It's a public mula'ana. Shaykh Thanaullah and Mirza Ghulam Ahmed. They made a public curse on the 15th of April 1907, by the way. There's a public curse. Each one of them cursed the other. Allah's curse be on the liar. May the death be given to the liar while the other one is alive. This was a public curse. And not even a year after the curse, this Mirza Ghulam fell sick of diarrhea and dysentery and whatnot and he died in a very very despicable state it is well known his state that he died in and uh, his followers continued after him and generally speaking i do not excommunicate groups however 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 there are red lines and i say without any sense of shame with a sense of pride anyone who says there is a rasul or a nabi after our Rasul and our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that person cannot be a Muslim. End of story. I don't care what anybody says. This is our religion. If you say there's a God besides Allah, you're not a Muslim. And if you say there is a Nabi after our Prophet Sallallahu you are not a Muslim. La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. So this group that believes in a Nabi. Now, if they don't believe he's a Nabi, that's a different issue. I'm not going to go there. But the mainstream is what? They believe he's a Nabi. He called himself a Nabi. And they say this, they say that. No, he called himself a Nabi. And there is no compromise. You can do it. We're, we're not calling for any violence. Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. But they cannot call themselves Muslims from our theology. We are very clear. We do not agree that they are Muslim. 
And if they want to open their temples of worship and they want to preach their religions in these lands, that's their business. But we have the freedom as well to say, we don't consider you to be Muslims. You can do what you want. We are not calling for any violence at all. It is the free land. You do what you want, but we will do what we want. And of what we will do, we will say, our theology tells us you cannot be somebody who pretends to be a Nabi after the Prophet ﷺ. So to conclude, inshallah ta'ala, it's a very simple conclusion, and that is that the concept of the Mahdi is very, very explicit in the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And we have many affirmations from our classical scholars as well. And one of the famous scholars, and with this I will end, he said, if the Mahdi happens to pass you in the street, do not give him your oath of allegiance until the Ummah has done so and you are certain he is the Mahdi. Don't follow the claim of anybody until the sign comes from Allah. What is the sign from Allah? What will happen in Mecca? What will happen in Mecca? No one should claim he's the Mahdi. It will happen. The Mahdi will not be a superhuman figure. The Mahdi is not going to be a cure for everything that we just sit back and say, oh, until the Mahdi comes, we do nothing. No, the Mahdi will just be a unifying factor. But the Muslims will still have to be behind him. We'll have to help him. We'll have to fight against the enemies. The Muslims have to do their stuff. Don't use the concept of the Mahdi as a crutch. I'm not going to do nothing till the Mahdi comes. No. The Mahdi, will, when he comes, there's going to be a lot of work. Until the Mahdi comes, we all have to do as much as we can. Allah is not, is not going to excuse us if we say, I did nothing because I'm waiting for the Mahdi. doesn't work that way. You have to do everything you can and leave the rest to Allah. Yes, we believe in the Mahdi. Yes, the Mahdi will come. But until he comes, there's a lot of work that we need to do. And Allah will not excuse us from doing that work just because we believe in the concept of the Mahdi. I hope that inshallah ta'ala has cleared up any confusions or issues about the concept of the Mahdi. And do we have time for q and I don't know. One or two questions inshallah. Begin from the sisters very quickly about the topic. Only about the topic very quickly. Sisters going once, going twice. Back to the brothers. Yes, Bismillah, about the topic. Yes. At what point will the malhama occur? The malhama, it appears to be, a, the malhama in, in the biblical sources called the Armageddon. Uh, and the malhama translates as the great war or the great battle. And what we believe, there will be a series of battles culminating in a massive battle, all out, between the forces of good on one side and the forces of evil on the other, between Dajjal on one side and Isa ibn Maryam on the other side. That is going to be the end of the Malhama. But before that happens, there will be a series of battles. Some of them big, some of them large, but it's going to be very clear. On the one side, you have the supporters of Dajjal. And on the other side, you have supporters of Mahdi, and then eventually Isa ibn Maryam. So truth and falsehood will become very clear. There will not be three camps. There will be two camps. So Malhama is a series of battles and wars towards the end of times, culminating in the death of Dajjal. Afterwards, the Malhama will be over. And I will talk about these mini battles and the actual final one in our Wednesday series, inshallah, of the Signs of Judgment Day. Back to the sisters. Going once, going twice. Back to the brothers. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Khurasan, yes. Yes, the hadith is a Tirmidhi, slightly weak, yes. Medina. Exactly, very good point. Our brother has 
perceived a difference. One hadith mentions the army will leave from Medina. The other hadith mentions the army will leave from Khorasan. Allah knows best. This is an ishtihad that I make. Allah knows best. The Mahdi will leave from Medina. But there will be a large group of supporters coming from Khorasan. The Mahdi will not come from Khorasan. The Mahdi will come from Medina. But supporters will come from around the world. And one of the largest and most significant will be from Khorasan. That is the point, okay? Anything from the sisters? Yes, Bismillah. You are redeeming all the sisters. Bismillah. Sisters, you have a voice. I want you to ask your question. So next time we give lectures, be prepared for your questions. Yes, Bismillah. Yes. So our sister asks a good question. What is the Roman Empire that is going to attack? There is no more Roman Empire. Allahu A'lam, but there are civilizations that claim heritage from the Roman Empire. And those civilizations study Roman intellectuals and Greek intellectuals to this day. And they teach their children to look up to Roman and Greek intellectuals. And they aggrandize Hellenistic culture to the point of considering themselves to be, if not the biological, definitely the intellectual and theological heirs to the Roman, the Greco-Roman tradition. So I think it is a pretty obvious understanding, and Allah knows best, that when uh, the hadith mentions Roman Empire, it applies to that civilization. And there is only one in the world that views itself as being the true heirs to the Roman Empire. And Allah protect us. Let's leave it at that. Yes, Bismillah, go ahead. Oh, okay. So our Afghani brother corrects me, and he is correct. Uh, it wasn't a mistake I made. I'm trying to be generic here. And he's demarcating the lands of Khorasan very specifically. And as you know, geography as a modern science really it wasn't demarcating lands to this precise figure. So can it be considered that a part of what is today's Iraq was a part of Khorasan? I believe yes. But you are correct. The bulk of what is called Khorasan is what is now Afghanistan and Iran and uh, Tajikistan and others of that region. Turkmenistan, he is correct in this. We're absolutely correct. Allahu alam, there is a portion of Iraq at that time that would have also been considered ma wara an nahr. Final question to the sisters. One minute you have, very quickly. Going once, going twice, twice and a half. Okay, bismillah, inshallah. With this, we will conclude today, inshallah, and then we'll continue our halaqa uh, on Wednesday about the minor signs, inshallah ta'ala. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. لا يزال الخير حياً لا يزال إن في الدنيا سلاماً وظلال أخبر الأيام أنها في وصال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال